0: Welcome to our show today. Randy, uh, we're going to take a bit of a pause in our linear consideration of the old Faithful and True workbook because we have a special guest in studio today.
1: We are quite fortunate to have the arrival of a uh, a guest who's a a regular guest on our show from time to time, Dr. Greg Miller, who we're very happy to uh, have back in town and back on the Men of Valor program. That is right.
0: By popular demand, acclamation, and special request, Dr. Greg Miller. Speak to the listeners about a subject that is very near and dear to your heart. Uh, shame, guilt, and? Conviction. Conviction. I, I understand shame. I understand guilt. I understand conviction. But I'm, but I'm waiting, like all of the rest of you, to hear what the connection is here.
2: One of the things that is very common in the addiction community is to talk about shame and guilt, and um, to understand that shame is that message that there's something wrong with me, that I am bad, and it's about my identity, and guilt is about my behavior. And one of the things that we talk about at the Faithful and True Workshop is the idea that conviction is about relationship, and really conviction is the place of hope that um, if I'm stuck in my shame, there really is no hope because I can't change who I am. If I'm stuck in my guilt, then the focus is on my behavior and my hope is in changing my behavior. But the beauty of conviction is it's the invitation of a loving God into an intimate relationship and the hope is found in grace. One of the
0: things we like to uh, do on the show is be practical uh, with our audience, our listeners. So uh, if you can break this apart a little bit, can you speak to each of those shame, guilt, and conviction in terms of what might be some of the things our listeners would think about if they want to work on getting to this more uh, conviction
2: place? Absolutely. The, the idea of shame is, and one of the things that we talk about is our shame can be heard in the names that we call ourselves in our head. So a lot of times, as I understand, what do I call myself when I fail? Am I worthless? Am I hopeless? Um, And the shame message many times is based upon an old core belief that we developed early on in our life. It might have been an actual message that a parent gave us, or it might have been an interpretation of experiences that we then personalized. It's helpful for me to challenge the lies of shame with the truth. So if I'm in that place of I am worthless, I can remind myself that I am the beloved son of God and that my worth comes from who God created me to be. Um, It's a very practical way in that moment of being consumed by lies to simply name the truth. And one of the things that can happen for each of us is that the message of shame can be so great at times that we struggle finding the truth within ourselves, and then there's the power of community. We can ask our community to remind us of what is true about us, what is true about who God is and who God has created us to be.
0: You might be anticipating my no- natural curiosity, which is uh, speaking to me at the moment. What are some of the names in your history that you called yourself when you felt that you were in that shame place?
2: Some of them can't be repeated on the radio. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> so I, I will edit them. One of the keys was um, I am stupid, I'm an idiot. Um, It's amazing how we can get into this rational thinking that we can believe that our thinking can save us. So one of the worst things I could call myself was just an idiot. I'm so stupid. Another one could just be around the idea of I'm a loser, I'm worthless, I'm hopeless. Um, And it can be just a a big declaration of I am stuck in this moment and there is no way to move forward.
0: One of the things that I'm aware of as you're talking about this, and uh uh, I'm reminded of a story uh, that you and I shared. Uh, As you were talking about the names you call yourself, I'm remembering a time when you called yourself those names. Do you remember when it was? The accident yes, in the parking I, lot. I've always believed in you know sharing stories so that the listeners can relate to us. But yes, it was a story in our parking lot about, I don't know, a year ago now, yeah. I think. And, uh,
2: um, one night, we had finished the workshop, and I was kind of in that rush, distracted place. And I was backing out of the parking lot, and I did what I normally do. I looked in the rearview mirror, but I did it quickly and directly behind me. And off to the side that I, I couldn't see was a car that I hit. And immediately I went into this place of incredible shame. And um, a lot of the names that I called myself was that I was a, a loser. I was a failure. Um, and fortunately, there was a great counselor with me in the parking lot who was able just to be with me in that moment and help remind me of what was true. I think the the thing I was aware of was how, how quickly I went into that yeah. shame place. That, And I think part of what's, true for all of us is there are certain circumstances that are the most conducive to triggering our shame. And for some reason, there was something about having an accident um, that was triggering to my shame, that the accident itself was the trigger.
0: That's something that I would like our audience to hear, meaning that, oh, and by the way, last week's show, we talked about magical thinking. I think uh, there's a lot of Christians who think that uh, when they really get right with Christ, that they'll never have another trigger of Mm -hmm. any kind again, a sexual trigger, or in this case, a shame trigger. And one of the the reasons why I think that story is so powerful is that it it reminds us that we're never free of triggers. Mm -hmm. And like you just said, under the right circumstances, even this old, old wound that you've worked really hard on uh, will still occasionally show up.
2: I think in that particular case, one of the things that was most triggering was the awareness of the consequences. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the, the foolishness of the, the money that was going to have to be sent to repair the cars, the, how ridiculous it was if I'd just taken a little bit more time and slowed down and instead of just looking in my rearview mirror, turning around and looking and scanning the parking lot. A lot of times it's the consequences of our choices that can most significantly trigger our shame.
0: What you're saying is that it was helpful at that point to uh, talk about it right away, Mm -hmm. to process it right away, and that if you're around a person who isn't uh, similarly triggered in that Mm -hmm. situation, I had an addict response. Uh, You know, the guy was not supposed to be parking there, and I thought we could get out of it because he was not supposed to be (laughs) there, but uh, that's what an addict would do. I've always thought one of the things that changes with our triggers is how long it takes us to process them and come back from
2: them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I remember about our conversation in the parking lot is that you clearly communicated, one, I'm not alone, that you were there with me, and the other was Mm -hmm. um, that it will be okay. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't kind of just a Pollyanna response to a difficult situation, but it was just that reminder that ultimately... I would be okay. That, yeah, this would be expensive, it might create some chaos for a moment, and yet, ultimately, I will be okay. And I just needed to be reminded of that because my shame was so great in that moment, I couldn't remember that for myself.
0: So if any of our listeners out there are having occasional shame attacks, give yourself a break, you know, first of all, and know that it's normal for that to happen. Perhaps... After our break here, we can
1: talk a little bit more about some practical things to do. You're listening to the Men of Valor program, and we'll be right back. at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's faithfulandtrue.com. Time now for the trigger of the week.
0: I was at one of our local malls, and we here in Minnesota have, you know, the world's best malls. I mean, even our smallest mall is, uh, you know, quite elaborate. So I'm walking around one of the malls and doing a little shopping, just more or less minding my own shopping business, when, of course, I walked by a store, Victoria's Secret. I'm going to go ahead and name it because I'm, I'm really angry about marketing strategies that that use sexuality that's my trigger of the week marketing strategies that use sexuality in an inappropriate way so most of our listeners would know that these stores like victoria's secret have large pictorial displays in their window and since it is approaching the christmas season here they had a woman and i won't you know get real graphic about what she was wearing uh, except to say that you know it was not much, and she had a Santa hat on, so I think the implication of it was that if you wanted to give your husband, your boyfriend, your lover, whoever that is, the most provocative and profound of all Christmas gifts, these are some items that you would would buy. The further implication there is that probably uh, what your husband wants for Christmas is the gift of enhanced, uh, more exciting sexuality and Uh, We just don't agree with that here, that uh, uh, there's so much more in a human relationship before we get to the expression of sexuality. I, I just, I bristle at the times when that association is made between sexuality as a substitute really for emotional and spiritual intimacy.
2: And I would agree that it is a misrepresentation, ultimately, of what God desired for sexuality. Mm -hmm. And the more that we're learning about marketing and airbrushing, that even what is presented in what we would say is a photograph is not a real representation of what is authentic and real, which creates even more confusion and chaos for the people involved. Mm -hmm. So if the idea is Christmas is about an authentic expression of love, An image like that is a complete distortion of what Christmas is all about. Back
0: to our topic today, which is about shame, guilt, and uh, Conviction. conviction. We were talking some about the shame piece of this and getting triggered into that and how easily that happens. And, you know, what are some of the things that are helpful? Is there anything else you'd like to say about that at this point?
2: Yeah, one of the what, the other thing I would add is that when our shame gets triggered, it's a great opportunity to try to identify what our core beliefs are because our shame messages in many ways represent our core beliefs. There's a guy that I'm working with and in conversation what he began to realize is that one of his core beliefs is not just that he's not enough, that he is a deficit, that he starts each day in a deficit and has to work just to be at a zero. Well, it it was an awareness of that, the power of that shame message that now he can begin to understand how to challenge that with the truth and the idea that because of who God created him to be, he is absolutely not a deficit, and he is more than enough. And again, that's where the power of God's truth and our community reminding us of that, that's really how we fight shame.
0: You keep coming back to community. When the listeners hear that word, I'm not sure they always know what we mean by authentic, real, helpful, transparent community. Can you speak a little bit to that?
2: You know, when I talk about community, it's about two things. It's about organized community. So it's about being in a group that meets at a particular time that may have a structure, may have a leader. And the purpose of the gathering is for men to be together in an authentic and honest way so that they can encourage each other in their recovery. Another part of that, though, is the organic community of men that develop as I make myself available to connect with others, and they make themselves available to connect with me. So it can be the guys I hang out with, it can be guys that I meet for coffee, it's whoever I call my friend, as long as there's the desire on each person's part to be open and honest and authentic. So when I talk about community, it's both the organized and the organic.
0: Would it be true that you would think that that organized community is where most of the men, if not all of the men, are going to have to start? You're just not going to all of a sudden, now that you've decided to be in recovery, show up at church coffee hour and start spilling your guts all over the place.
2: It's just not going to happen. Absolutely not. And in fact, what I I tell guys on a regular Mm -hmm. basis is you use the experiences of group and you practice community there so that you then can take it away from the group and find other men that you can have an authentic relationship with.
0: So it spills over Mm -hmm. into your relationships with uh, other men uh, and uh, your children?
2: Absolutely. And I would also add that it, it also takes intentionality, that it's not just going to happen, it's I choose to make it happen because of what I'm learning in the group experience.
0: One of the words that comes to mind is the word safe. Would it not be true that not all people are safe to get this authentic with?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, what we would say is that you use your your wisdom, your, your discernment, you practice vulnerability. You might just test the waters. I talk about the fact that if you're at a gathering of men at your church and you talk about the fact that, you know, you and your wife are going through a difficult time or you're struggling with something, and they immediately change the subject to the, the most recent sporting event, that's probably a good indication that that guy is not going to be safe. Um, but if you risk in some slight way and a, a guy meets you in that place of authenticity, then that gives you the courage to risk more. So it's okay to test the waters in your own story.
0: Oftentimes happens, don't you think, that the other man may then get authentic or vulnerable. Absolutely. Back. Another thing I I believe happens for a lot of the men, and I think this is one of the places they uh, beat themselves up, and sometimes the wives out there wonder about, how is it that you can go, John, to your weekly uh, meeting at Faithful and True or your 12-step group or your Celebrate Recovery group, and you can get honest with all those men, and you can spill your guts all over you know, the counseling center, but you can't come home and get honest with me.
2: Yeah, I think the simple answer is just fear. Yeah. That the fear is the the people in our lives that we care the most about many times are the people that we struggle being most honest with because their rejection or their response is going to be the most painful. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is true is wives get their reaction. In fact, they need to have their reaction And their reaction will not always feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's okay for you to go to your men's group and, and practice authentic, safe community there so that then you can come home and be authentic with your wife, knowing that she may have a reaction that will be challenging and she gets her reaction.
0: So partly what you're saying there is that you have to practice, practice, practice with men who are relatively safe. Mm -hmm. One of the principles I've always said is that the person that you're most afraid of losing in the early days of your recovery Mm -hmm. will be the person that you are the least likely to tell the truth to. Absolutely. So you practice truth-telling and then you patiently wait until your spouse is able to join you in that more authentic place and uh, then you can kind of rock and roll, I Mm -hmm. think.
2: Well, and I remember distinctly telling Beth that she was the one person that I wanted to talk the most about the secrets and she was the person i was most afraid to talk to
0: that's right and it took you a few months really before the two of you were able to get to that point didn't it by the way i used a very clinical term there if any of you need to write me an email about rock and roll that's uh, that's phd level uh, clinical stuff there now let's get to this last word you kept talking about, and I keep forgetting. uh, Reconciliation. Conviction. Conviction. See, I I don't know what it is. I've got a block about (laughs) conviction. I probably need to go back to my own group and talk about that. Tell us how you would think about getting to conviction.
2: There's also the idea of guilt. Mm -hmm. And guilt is just that that idea that I've done something wrong. The focus is on changing my behavior. And the example that I use is that when I was in junior high, I got into some less than good behavior. And part of that was shoplifting. And there was a day that I came to the realization, I'm not going to do this anymore. And that was enough. I I decided I'm not going to shoplift. I never shoplifted again. And guilt was enough to change the behavior. But the focus was on the behavior. And for a lot of guys, the question that they have is, you know, "I've, I've been able to stop other things. Why can't I stop this? And then that brings us to the idea of the conviction where we will need something beyond ourselves and our own determination not to do it again to really change. And so conviction for me is the idea that there is a loving God inviting us into a right relationship with Him. And so um, conviction is that awareness that I have stepped outside the desires of a loving God and that God is pursuing me and desiring me and my hope is found in grace The one thing I cannot do is go back and change any of the choices that I've made. So the only hope I have is that there is grace and forgiveness from a God who loves me. And one of the challenges with a lot of the men that we work with is they struggle believing that God is the loving God who pursues them. Um, Experientially, either in the way that God was presented or even in some experiences that they had within the church, their greatest assumption is God is, is against them or at least God is spying on them to see when they do poorly, Mm -hmm. versus there is a loving God who wants them to do well, has desires for them, and readily forgives them when they choose grace. So our hope is found then in the relationship with God, not in something else that I have to do, but the belief that God loves me enough to forgive me.
0: I'm going to ask you a difficult question, but it's kind of one of the themes of our show, actually, and that is... uh... Do you think, therefore, given what you're saying about conviction and about you know, understanding God's grace and God's loving kindness toward us, how important is it for your early level support, your your uh, structured group that you were talking about, how important is it for that, for that to be a Christian group?
2: I, I cannot imagine doing recovery without there being the faith and the hope of Christ, because there has to be that sense of grace. There has to be that sense of forgiveness. I know for a lot of men, they, they have this idea that God is this great zapper that is just waiting for them to fail in order to injure them or hurt them. And to believe that there is a, a creator of the universe that designed them, that pursues them, that loves them, that creates hope for them, I think is foundational. Because without that, where is my hope? My hope is in either guilting my way into recovery or shaming my way into recovery. And experience teaches that neither one of those are really effective that it really is the invitation of a loving God that results in transformation.
0: I want to be clear, by the way, I don't want to create any confusion in a lot of emails. I'm not saying that at at some point you shouldn't go to a 12-step group or a group that's designed around behavioral accountability, which I think the 12-step groups are. I mean, I think they can be very effective in helping you stop something and helping you have accountability around what you're not doing. So it could be definitely a part of your program. I I think what we are saying, however, is that at some point, in order to get to this deeper place that you're talking about, um, that really does need to be a group of authentic Christians who embrace a loving God.
2: Well, and the 12-step tradition was a part of my recovery early on, and I never looked toward the 12-step group to create my faith experience. I brought my faith experience to that group. And I think that's part of the value of it. If I'm clear in my faith, then I don't need the group to define it for me, and I can steward the group in the way that is most helpful. And one of the things that we talk about at the workshop is the need for every man to have a sacred space where they can really wrestle with God, and at the other other end of that wrestling, come out with an authentic, intimate connection with God.
0: You talk about the recovery team at mm-hmm. the workshop Another element of the team at times would be a voice of spiritual wisdom, like a spiritual director. Right, and that's part
2: of the the sacred spiritual space Mm -hmm. where I can wrestle with God and there is a voice, a a mentor, a director that can help me navigate the complexity of my own faith.
0: Well, that's not a bad place to bring this back because you started out talking about all the names when we're in that shame place that we call ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you get into a sacred place and learn the truth about God's love, then you will get a new name, uh, won't you? Uh, Absolutely. A great place to stop. We hope that uh, all of our listeners out there are looking for their new identity in Christ.
1: And once again, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser and our special guest today, Dr. Greg Miller. We'd like to uh, invite you to join us next week when we promise, as we had earlier, to uh, return you to our study of uh, part two from the Faithful and True Workbook, in which we're going to be exploring recovering from sexual sin part one of the faithful and true study i uh, helped you understand and create a plan for healthy sexuality part two that we're going to uh, go into starting next week addresses a more difficult situation restoring those who have become entrapped in sexual sin you're not going to want to miss that program thank you very much for listening we'd like to thank ben laser our engineer for all of his help today we hope that god blesses you this week and look forward to joining you again soon